The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Uh, our scripture reading uh, today is from Matthew five thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Tim. Well, I want to say again that um, we're celebrating something beautiful this morning. And um, it's the fact that three years ago, um, the Lord kindly uh, began this church, this location. And now we're not only, uh, look around, uh, growing immensely by God's kindness, we're actually ascending church. You're sending another church out. That's incredible. That, that's not me, that's not videos, that's not, that's us. We're a huge part of that. And, um, and I, I just want to, I'm so thankful for that. This morning they're actually praying, uh, they've brought up a few of the people from uh, who are going with Russ and that group to begin this church. And um, as you think about it, pray for them. Uh, praise God for his kindness that you're part of sending a new church out, as well as, um, as for them as they begin. Uh, with all the things that they know, it's kind of funny as we're kind of the older brother or sister to them, telling them in many ways that we've been uh, hit over the head or those kind of things uh, in our processes and growing. Um, so pray for them. You know, I was listening to, um, I listen often to this, uh, this American Life. It's a podcast and kind of thumb through sometimes and see um, different ones. Somebody had mentioned this one to me and it was called, um, If You Build It, Will They Come? Uh, obviously play on words. If you build it, they will come. If you build it, will they come? It's actually about building strategies, not just buildings, but like building strategies, marketing strategies. And the first major portion, half of that they use is talking about how churches have taken up this idea. And in fact, they quote some people, um, even in it, you hear their voices, uh, Tim Keller's quoted in it and others about how uh, church strategies have become this kind of thing of, of marketing and research and looking into things and numbers and, and all the, you know, angles and such. And it's an interesting uh, thing to listen to, uh, not so much because of the strategy, because it takes you through the narrative of one person who tried to go through this and it didn't work. And, and, uh, but what I found fascinating was listening to a group of people who are not wouldn't uh, proclaim Christianity at all, talk about their view inside of what it looks like for us to plant churches. And that's what was so fascinating for me. And I appreciated it. 
And if you're here this morning and maybe you're coming into a church again, or maybe you know people that wouldn't come if you invited them, I would encourage you to not only come back, but let's ask questions about that. And bring your friends this morning that would have questions about church. Because I love the fact that I got to hear people who do not profess Jesus, but say, this, is this what the church is like? Is this what it is like sending out? We just looked at a passage here where Jesus is giving like the sermon. It's considered the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew. And he pretty much begins the sermon by saying, you are salt, you are light. You're an influencer. You're somebody who is to go out. And he doesn't say, here are the strategies. And this is where I think the podcast misses the idea of what, what's going on underneath and in our ideas, is that we're not sending out a product. We're proclaiming a person. And here's how it works. And here's what's interesting. And it, it doesn't say, hey, here's, here's salt. Here's how you begin using salt. Here's how you begin. It says, you are salt. You are light. And it's not a strategy of where you need to become salt or become light. This is a group of people standing on a mountainside with Jesus who is teaching them and none of them have influence. In fact, they're all oppressed. (laughs) And they're saying, I'm salt and light? You're saying I'm influential? As an individual? What, What do I have to contribute? Jesus says, you are these things. And and I think as we look at this and take a a, a quick hiatus from our looking at the churches of Revelation, we need to really take in the fact that not only are you all sending a church, but you're continually sending Jesus into the city. What does it mean? And it's a simple sermon. There's no no trick. There's no backflips in this, what I'm going to say to you this morning. There's two points, salt and light. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. How though? Wouldn't this be interesting though? Like step out of yourself for a minute. Maybe you've read this before. We use these terms like, oh, that person, they're just really the salt of the earth. You know, like people use this language. Light is used a lot. But what does it mean for you and I to actually be salt and light? It's kind of an awkward thing. I mean, in our society, if you look, there's actually, I don't know if you do this on your phone. I I love doing this, the, the news feeds. But there's actually, you know, you can... Uh, categorize what you want to read. And there's actually a section called the influencer news to, to describe how to be better in social media and your business and those kind of things. It's fascinating to read what it talks about, how to get your brand out there. It says a difficult and crucial part of becoming an influencer is maintaining a substantial following and level of engagement. Those are the kind of words that we're used to, right? Maintaining and keeping a following and maybe following those people we follow. What does it mean for us to be influential though in a whole different light? Jesus isn't saying you need to build a following. You need to get a bunch of likes. He's saying you are these things. So how do we carry them out? How are you purposeful in the way that you do that? Let's look at salt. Let's look at light. Look, salt says you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. For the Hebrews to talk about salt, and if you did a word study in the Bible, you would actually see salt come up a lot more than just this particular uh, passage. 
Salt for them was um, easily attainable, especially because near the Dead Sea, which the Dead Sea is considered the Dead Sea because its salt content is so high that nothing can live in it. (laughs) So they would find salt on the shores. It would be easy to dry out, to take salt from that. But because of this, uh, salt would be easily found. But how do you lose saltiness? It's not necessarily that the chemicals go away, but there was a a part of the Dead Sea. They say it's about uh, 15 or so, you know, yards or so, that stretch of a corner where the salt would gather and it would become fossilized. It would actually become fossilized and impure in itself. And there was no way, actually, to take that salt and use it again. See, salt didn't necessarily, necessarily change its chemical composition. It, what becomes horrible about it and why it loses its saltiness is when it becomes impure and mixed. When it loses its taste is when it becomes fossilized and stagnant and sitting there. And what Jesus is trying to get us to see is, what are we doing with who we are as followers of Jesus? If we are to be salt, we're supposed to be something that people taste around us. What would it be like to ask those people around you, whether they be followers of Jesus or people who would not, and that's who I would think it would be better to even ask, those maybe even in this room, how do they encounter those who might be considered Christians around them? I know I've talked to several people in my own life where even in my own family, who do not at all proclaim to follow Jesus. And their view of it oftentimes, whether it's of me personally or of around, is, is quite interesting. Sometimes they get too much of the salt. Sometimes the salt is overpowering. And salt itself isn't supposed to be a main course or a side dish. It's supposed to go into the meal. But sometimes as Christians, we can be trying to act like we are the meal. We can become so salty that people are like, oh, that's just a horrible taste. I remember my father telling about as he played sports as a kid, and this will shock some of you, maybe some of you remember this or know this, but when he was playing football, they saw salt going out. You've probably seen this. You know, if you sweat too much, you see salt rings. Instead of just giving water, they gave salt tablets. They saw salt coming out, put the salt back in. Can you imagine doing that after a workout? But imagine that's what that taste, and they would talk about this, having to choke down this salt tablet because salt's going out, I got to have this salt, got to put it back in. Well, of course, we don't do that anymore. We have things like Gatorade and other things that bring in the salt. If you look on the label, the salt is within it, right? But do people taste us in that way? Is there a bitter taste? And oftentimes, we can put that taste out in people's mouths because of the way that we treat them. The way that we think we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be in their life. And, <clears throat> but we need to realize and step back. Are we putting ourselves in a position? Are we being wrong in our purpose by trying to be the main course? Or even the side dish? Rather than something that enhances flavor. That is a part of that. I love that there's a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. It's actually somewhat of an older book written by a woman named uh, Rebecca Pippert, 
It's a great book though. And I love that she talks about this problem that we have in trying to relay the taste of being a Christian to those around us. She's just honest. She says, our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information, it's that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget we are called to be witnesses to what we have seen and know, not to what we don't know. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience, not a doctorate in theology. We haven't grasped that it is really okay for us to be who we are when we are with those who are seeking who Jesus is, even if we don't have all the answers to their questions or knowledge of Scripture. I mean, have we ever thought that it's okay for us to be specifically who we are as salt, what salt does in enhancing? It's not about, and this is what, where we typically go, and I love what Rebecca Pippert is drawing out, is that we typically think, read salt, I need to be salt. That means I need to change my personality. I need to be a different kind of person. I need to be nice. I need to be good here. I need to act this certain way or say these certain things. That is never what Jesus is saying. Salt enhances the flavor of something else, doesn't it? Isn't that the point of salt? Have you ever had a cookie without salt? It can taste terrible. You can have all the sweetness, all the sugar, everything you want in a good dessert, and without the salt, it tastes horrible. But putting the salt in is to, is to enhance that. You don't, you don't taste it and go, mmm, the salt is good. If you do, you're missing it, right? The purpose of the salt is to come in and to bring in the flavor, to bring taste is to bring in that graciousness. Colossians, Paul says this in a totally another place in a letter. He says in Colossians 4 verse 6, he says, let your words be gracious, seasoned with salt. That what does it mean for us in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, in the way that we bring out this truth to those around us? It's not about trying to put on a new personality. It's about bringing a person it's about talking about something else. It's not a product. It's a relationship that we are in. If you're in a deeper relationship with Jesus, it's going to emanate different things from you. There's going to be a taste in your own mouth and in others around you. And that's a good thing. It's also not just a taste. It's a, it's a preservative primarily. It's rubbed into meat to preserve decay. And here's what it's saying. If there is salt being rubbed into meat, which is what they needed to do in order to preserve meat longer, right? You can rub enough salt into something and it'll still decay. But because they didn't have refrigeration, that's what they would need to do. But here's the point, is decay is happening. We are not the ultimate preserver from it. It's been interesting over the years when I've talked to, to friends or others, about the difference in Christianity and our idea of preservation. What's the difference between preservation and being a preservative? I've even talked to some in conversation about the need for technology and what we need in it is to help preserve us from decay. 
Help keep us to live on as a people. I know that, that for some of us, we're like, eh, but some of us are in a realm and some of us are in the medical communities and we're looking into things. We're, we need to ask the questions in our, in our, in our jobs, in our lives, in our ethics and what we're asking is, are we making sense of things through an idea of preservation or being a preservative? And here's what I mean by that. Interesting uh, quote out of even uh, what's called uh, the... Uh, um, a certain magazine um, that talked about this, even called the Cyborg Manifesto, it said this, trapped for millions of years in nature's garden with God calling the shots, we've finally discovered an escape hatch, advances in computer tech, biotech, and nanotech. We have unlocked the promise of controlling our evolutionary future and we can finally transcend ourselves. Now, as much as maybe many of us are not engaged in all of those things, we all want to do that. But Jesus is bringing a reality of there is decay because of sin. There is a decay around us. And this is what the conversation I had with this friend who was really drawing up to me saying, hey, we, we are making it, what's the use of Christianity? We're making advances that are going to make it useless. But if you look even today of the need of even religion and Christianity in its distinction today, even in all the tech and advances that we have, it is exploding across the globe. What you see in those videos, the church is moving forward with great advances and is skyrocketing because people are seeing the need in the midst of their decay. No technology, every phone goes bad, right? Everything. You never even think about it until your phone goes bad, right? But you know that it's all subject to decay. We know that about ourselves and everything around us. But what Jesus is saying, there's preservative in the midst of that. And we are a part of that. We are a part of bringing that preservation of life, of truth and health and reality. Tim Keller and... Uh, <clears throat> A couple others wrote an article in a, called How Christians Can Bear Witness in an Anxious Age. And I love what they say about this. Listen to what they say we are to be like. The Christians were to be known as a people who served their neighbors and their city. And at the same time, God's people were not in a place, uh, not to place their future hopes in social and economic improvement. They were to love and serve their earthly city but they were not to forget that God would someday judge that city, even in the injustice. It was only in God that believers could be sure of a hope and a future. In this hope, instead of merely coexisting with the Babylonians, gnawed by memories of former cultural acceptance, the Jews in Babylon were to strive for the good of their city, the growth of the people of God, and their resulting testimony to the glory of God. Christians are and have always been resident aliens called to love our neighbors with deeds of service so that those around us will see our good deeds and glorify God. How are we entering into this city, whether it is in a, in a workforce, whether it's with our children, whether it's with a friendship, whether it's in small places of decay that we see everywhere around us and entering into that one place and being salt, bringing in preservation, 
preservative for that decay. Displaying that there, yes, here's the reality. Salt says what? There's a reality of sin we need to address. We need to enter into it. We need to be ground into it. And yet, there's a hope that one day the decay will never happen again. How are we holding both all the time? We are salt. It's not something you take on. It's something you are. The question is, what are you doing? And he even goes further to say, you are the light of the world. A city, is not set, on, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. See, even further than this, a light. What is a light? Light's used all through the Bible as well. It's used all everywhere today. But the point of it is that you see other things by it. In the same way of salt, here's what's interesting. Light is attractive. And many times we mistake what it means to be a Christian as being attractive to those around us. That we need to do the right things, say the right things. There's all this pressure on us in the same way that we would see as salt. And we hide it. Look, why would he say this? People don't hide it, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. For many of us in this room, it's easy to want to hide the purpose of who we are, because maybe we're ashamed of it. Maybe in our classroom, in our workplace, in our friendships with people, we're afraid to actually say something that we might disturb a relationship, a workplace, a friendship. But what are we doing? We're not being purposeful. And it doesn't mean you're shouting from the rooftops and being obnoxious about that. Think about this. It's always odd to look at a light, right? You don't just come in here and stare at the light bulbs. You know when you turn on a light in one of your rooms, in your house, or your apartment, and the light comes on and immediately you're trying not to look at it when you're turning on the lamp? Because it's, it's awkward. The light itself, you're not supposed to look at the bulb. It's supposed to light the room for you. It's by that light that you see everything in it. But here's the interesting thing. We think we need to be the one everybody looks at. Light is to show something else. There was an a, a, a article on, uh, toward a universal theory of cool that I thought was interesting. It was an article about what does it mean to be cool? And I don't, you know, I could read you a million different things. It was really kind of funny at parts to read. But it went through a litany of things. Is it humor, right? That uh, Aristotle and Plato themselves said, there's a superiority in humor to feel cool. That's why we have so many uh, uh, shows, TV shows of people doing blunders and, and, and dumb things. That it makes us feel superior to them and therefore we can laugh at them. <laughs> Talk about a commentary of, of our contemporary culture. Is it rebellion? Is it somebody who's going against the grain? Is that cool? Is it success? Autonomy? What is it? At the end of the article, it's just kind of like, oh man, you didn't really give me. It just gives a litany of what is cool. And even negation of things can be cool. But the point, the difference between being cool and being a light here and what Jesus is saying is this is the thing. We, as much as we wouldn't say this in the room, we worship being cool. Especially in this kind of a city. This is a cool city. People are moving here because it is cool. 
And we in this room want to be cool. That's the biggest thing is our, we have a, such an idol of awkwardness. We don't want to be awkward with anybody. And we're afraid that it's going to put people off. The difference between Jesus saying you are a light and being cool is, the, is this fact. Cool is saying, look at me, I'm the light bulb. You don't look at the light. It hurts your eyes. The light is to show other things. Jesus is saying you are a light because by it you see other things. You see the path. You see the reality. Are you displaying a reality of what it means to follow Jesus? Look, I've talked to so many athletes over the years and even have gotten amazing chances to talk to college and even professional athletes and asking them. And one of the things that comes back to me over and over that when I hear them talk about being a Christian in their field is developing a platform in order for people to see Jesus. And we may not use that language. You may not have that. But that's kind of what we all think is we, if I just had a platform and people could hear me and see me. Jesus is saying, you don't need a platform. You already are light. Even if you never become a success in your sport, in your job, in your family, whatever it is, you are light. The point is, what, what are you showing by it? Who are you showing by it? That's what the gospel is about. That's what Christianity is. It's about showing him. It's not about a platform. You don't need to develop anything. Jesus is saying to a group of people in this passage who never thought they would be influential that they are the influencers of their day and time. And he's saying it to you and to me. No matter where you are in this room and you think, "Ah, I couldn't say that. I couldn't reach that prayer. I couldn't say these things or live this way. Jesus is saying, you are this. If you say you follow me, you are salt and you are light. You have incredible taste and you are the one who shines into the darkness. That is what light is. It is beating back the darkness. It's showing that decay and darkness will not have its day. It will not win. It will not be the end. You see, the point of coming to this table is to tell you that this table is a reality, that you're not the light bulb and you're not the ultimate grain of salt. You see, this is why God says, taste and see that I am good. See, this table says that in every way, what, what, why salt and light? There are things you feel, things you experience. Why does Jesus set his table with his own body and blood? There are things that you can't just smell. You have to come and consume. You taste, take in, receive. You come around this table as those who are part of a body that he's brought together. Because here's the thing. What does Jesus say that it is? I am the light of the world. Being a light, we are like the moon reflecting the sun. I was, I was literally, I love seeing the moon. And sometimes we say in our family, um, and our, I think our kids brought this up one time. Or see, you know, when it's in the middle of the day and you still see the moon up there, it's kind of weird. 
And you see this reflective thing that really in and of itself puts out no light, and yet we're able to see it. Have you ever thought about how incredible that is? That the, the, the grains of dust that compose this thing that orbits our planet reflects this magnificent, bright, hot thing from millions of miles away all the way to us to illuminate an evening. We are the moons to that sun. We are called to reflect it. And as Jesus even draws this up from Leviticus chapter 2, this Old Testament obscure book, there is one part in there that says, calls it the covenant of salt. It's the weirdest thing. I was doing study on this. It says, the covenant of salt. In other words, this relationship of salt. That God says, I am not only the light, I am the salt. I am the one who preserves you to the end. When you come to this table, you take that. If you're here this morning and you're, and you're wondering, should I take this? If you're kind of saying, I want to be that, don't just come take the table. Take Jesus first. Come receive him before you. If you've never received Jesus, I would ask you, please talk to me or talk to someone in this room that you know follows Jesus. Ask them, what's it like to follow him? Explore it. Ask the questions. And if you're here this morning and you would say, I follow him, come to this table, consume and receive with joy and song that this meal reminds you of the salt and light that is given to you that you may be it. Well, let's stand together. And as we do, we're going to recite.